A Christian mind is not one that is trained to think only about Christian topics. It is a mind that has learned to think about everything from a Christian perspective. Christianity provides a comprehensive view of the world. Christianity is a worldview. Worldviews are the grids. They are the lenses through which we frame all of reality. I'm sorry, bro. Say hello. Hello. <laughs> Yo, we're here. What are you saying? Who's here? Who's here today? I'm here. I can't believe we're starting again. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Yo, you guys, we've had a man. If you knew the trauma. Trauma. <laughs> Oh. We had a mess today. Oh, should we even? Should we even? What should no. we even? What? Tell them the situation. It's not that deep. Nah, nah. Let's Kingdom. let's let it go. Have you got a dummy for Gabby? <laughs> what are you trying to say? Do I need a dummy? Ooh. Oh, oh, oh! I like the way you call it dummy now, Gabby. You need Ooh. to relax. You Ooh. changed it, didn't you? I contextualize. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> alright. Too many private jokes. Yo, welcome to the Blackberry Podcast. We are doing a Q and A today. Uh, who is here? It's Richard and Kingsley and Gabby and no one else. Okay, <laughs> cool. Uh, cool. So what are we what are we dealing with today, Kay? Um, we're gonna go just jumping straight away. So our first question is: Is there ever a reason a Christian can withhold reconciliation from another in the face of true repentance? So the person gives this context: Person A attempts unsuccessfully to murder Person B. Person A truly repents and seeks reconciliation with person B. Can person B in that circumstance withhold reconciliation? So you try kill man. Basically. You try kill man unsuccessfully. Can we be reconciled? And then Or should should we be reconciled? Can we be reconciled? Do I need to be reconciled to you? Do you need to be reconciled? Is there an obligation on the Christian? Mm. Um firstly, is there a difference between reconciliation and forgiveness? Yes. Go yeah. on. Sorry. Go on. Are you saying no? No, I said go on. That was, he asked the question. We got okay. sh- short, there's snappy. Difference. There's a difference. <laughs> yeah. no. I'm laughing because you're losing. Yes. No. Forgive. <laughs> Not forgiven. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so there's a difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. Yes. Cool. Um, the Christian is obliged to forgive. Yes. The Christian is obliged to reconcile. Question. That's the question, isn't it? Mm. Really? Is the Christian rebl- obliged to reconcile? What is reconciliation? Kingsley's is staring in the air, boy. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> Looking at the clock ticking. Mate, okay. So reconciliation is the process by which two parties who've been at odds, or two or more parties who've been at odds, um, seek to recover or restore, or using the word, reconcile. Uh, their differences in such a way that their relationship goes back to what it was before they were ours. Okay, so they return back to the way it was before they were ours. And I guess if we're saying that the return has to be a full return back to the way that you were before you were at issue, then the answer is going to be no. No, yeah. Yeah. So we, we, what we're saying is you have to forgive as a Christian. There's a command to forgive and that needs to be um, exercised by the person aggrieved. Mm-hmm. But reconciliation... Um, we would say, I'm saying that there should be a disposition towards reconciliation from the person who has been aggrieved, but reconciliation in its full orb sense of restoring mm-hmm. the relationship back to exactly what it once was 
needn't always take place because there might be circumstances in which it's prudent for it not to take place. Mm. Um, and also that reconciliation has a journey aspect to it um, in a different sense to forgiveness, even though there can be a journey aspect to forgiveness. Um, Gabby, I know you have some interesting thoughts on this <laughs> on the previous podcast. So. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think I agree in that reconciliation doesn't necessarily mean going back to the exact same nature of the relationship before the offence. Because mm. I think in, in the initial relationship, I'm assuming there's a degree of trust. And in the offence, in someone trying to kill you, um, or any other kind of offence, mm. trust has been broken. Mm. And um, Should you not then restore that trust? So, and, and this is the question. Yeah. Is it is it um, obliged for the Christian to trust? Is that necessitated by um, obedience to Christ? Um, I don't think it is... I don't, th- I don't know if you can compel trust from someone okay. or if you can um, manufacture trust. Got trust you. has been broken. Yeah. Yeah. Restoring trust, I think, will be... If if it's wise to restore it, the situations where it, m- it mm. might not be wise to tr- trust somebody. Mm. Um, but then restoring trust will necessarily take time. Is it is it true forgiveness and then and then yet still withholding your trust from someone, like consciously withholding your trust? Is that possible? I th- I think you would have to... <laughs> give people opportunities to restore the trust. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's simply. You have to. I think. I think so. Okay. So let's. But 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 it, but it needn't be. It needn't be to the full extent of the relationship. But you wouldn't want it to stay at a point where you said, "I don't trust this person, and I will never give them an opportunity to trust." Because my concern is the heart that says that probably has some underlying unresolved issues. I'm wondering. I've heard this. I've heard this mentioned ages ago at a church. Like if somebody was in charge of the money at church, for example, mm-hmm. and then that person, like, essentially stole money from mm-hmm. church. That person might be truly repentant at a particular mm-hmm. point. The church might have truly forgiven them. Does the church have to trust them again with the money? No, not to necessarily do that particular task. So I was actually talking to someone about this. So in my mind, here's what I would do, not in a leadership function, but I wouldn't expect that person necessarily to be placed in that position of counting the money again. Mm-hmm. where there is that evident mm-hmm. temptation but at the same time i wouldn't want that person to be i don't think it's right for that person to be treated as in one sense their sin is reserved um in the sense of continually sort of putting them out as this kind mm-hmm. of i get, I get so, so next, next so, question then is but, okay, it, but, it, but you, it, you can't t- treat them as their sins reserved deserve. so i want to i want to deal with that because that's, that's a matter of justice continually so you're saying we can't exercise justice no, I'm saying, that, that, I'm, saying, that I'm saying, 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 when I say continue as the sins deserve, I was going to give another context. So I'm saying, so for example, in that circumstance, mm-hmm. I would want to walk with that person through the journey of true repentance, mm-hmm. um, which is a constant turning away from the fact they were once people who were. Oh, yeah, 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 that. And that means giving them opportunities to demonstrate that they haven't, uh, that they're not, they're not going to steal again. That doesn't mean going back to, counting the money but it does mean for example maybe starting with i don't know if you come if you come to my house and count your money yeah if you come to my house and you're in my bedroom maybe i don't leave like all my valuables lying around but in a certain circumstance like not feeling like i have to like watch it every single move to the point where like it's evident that I don't have any degree of trust mm-hmm. in them. But that needs to be built up over time. Mm-hmm. That's not a sort of like straight away thing, but I think it needs mm-hmm. to be built up over time. 
I think the point you mentioned about trust, though, about does, is a Christian obliged to trust? And so I think the Christian is definitely not obliged to trust instantaneously. Mm-hmm. And so so when I, when I, what I have in mind is, for example, when um, Paul is listing out qualifications for deacons, mm-hmm. um, he's, he, 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 he indicates that they should serve in some function first. And if they serve well, then they can have the office of a deacon. There is a sense in which the church has to be able to trust that these people who are going to be called to this office um, have the spiritual character um, and the, the, the requisite sort of life maturity to handle that office. Mm-hmm. People need to trust them. And Paul is indicating that that needs to be done all the time. Thing. Yeah. I so, still think I'm, I'm still, I'm still not. So, okay. So even take the, the office of like an elder, for example, the man has to be a blameless husband of one wife, all that kind of stuff. Um, but there are things that a, a man can do that disqualifies him from the office permanently. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just thinking. I recognize that when, when it comes to the matter of like dealing with sin and those kind of things, um, sometimes because sin has its consequences, just because we forgive people, um, it doesn't mean that all consequences of the actions are completely removed. Such that, for sure, can, yeah. Such that one of the consequences of said action might be. Even though, so I appreciate what you're trying to say about trust being something that you try and build up over time. Not necessarily, but, but if, yeah, if it's possible. But if it's possible. But, but not necessarily at all. But one, yeah, one, one, one situation might be that a person's... So like, let's say marriage, for example. Yeah. If a person commits adultery, for example, and they break down a relationship in that, in that particular respect, mm-hmm. a person's never ever called to trust them again in, a kind of like, in that kind of relational, intimate kind of way whatsoever. Is it required to? It's never required to. Yeah. You know, and I and I just I just think it's not it's not an ideal situation yeah, by yeah. any means. You know what I mean? But it is the result of living in a fallen world. Mm-hmm. Part of our sinful, do you know what I mean? Part of our sin does actually our sin can hinder that uh, the reconciliation the reconciliation process in and yeah. of itself. And I just as a matter of fact, a matter of consequence. I think it's important for us to maintain that someone can be forgiven and still have to face the necessary consequences of their punishment. Yeah, of course. So so whilst there, so I think someone in, in eldership is a fantastic example. Someone's in eldership and they um, violate the necessities that make them make it possible for them to be an elder. Mm-hmm. Um, King broke out into laughter. Why are you laughing? Oh, <laughs> I don't know which word. Necessities. Violate. Or, or no, uh, was it my northernness or necessities? <laughs> necessities. You're really, laughing. he's got his head in his hands and he's correct to do so. Um, <laughs> and, <laughs> So let, let's say so, so let, let's say they they do something that means that they can no longer be an elder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They may be forgiven, but should they be restored to eldership? No, not necessarily yeah. at yeah, all. Yeah, exactly. Um, so at least not immediately. And and maybe not at all. Yeah, maybe, maybe not. not at maybe all. not at all. Yeah. Um, and so and that's like a, a collective trust from the church has been mm. broken. Um, do you know what's a, a mad example? Is it da- it's David who sins with the census in the Old Testament, and then God essentially gives him three like three ultimatums, like one of them being like the was it the crippling of your son or the death of your son? Another one, like, just, like, he just gives him several ultimatums about, like, boom, like, because you've sinned in this particular way, mm. like, I've forgiven you, you're forgiven, but there's consequences for your actions, you know, and you need to deal with one of those consequences. Um, and that, and, and, and that, you know, it hits the nail on the head. Like, we can forgive people and still, I can, I think, I can forgive you for, for trying to take my life and still send you to the police. Mm-hmm. And that's the right thing or, to do. Or send you to the Someone tries to kill institute. you, Black Maria um, listeners, the call the police. Yeah, yeah, or send you to the mental And you can institute. forgive them and rightly and be a Christian. Bang, bang. <laughs> and necessarily <laughs> call the police. Yeah, 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 of course, of course, of course, of course, of course. Yeah. So we're saying so it's summary, not necessary. In summary. In summary. We're saying forgiveness is necessary and required. We're saying reconciliation is a journey and it doesn't necessarily need to take place in its fullest fullest sense but we're also appreciating that the effects of sin mean that sometimes that 
that ability to reconcile can be can be hindered even um to the point whereby you can no longer carry out or carry out the function uh, function that you, you previously carried out or um participate in a relationship potentially at all mm. um in its worst in its worst uh in the worst case scenario mm. um i would just add as we close in this question that if someone finds themselves in a circumstance like the questioner has sort of raised i would always be very careful um, not to assume that you're in a situation where reconciliation can't take place because mm. i think one of the things about us uh, as us as sinners is we're very quick to assume that we have righteous indignation or we're quick to assume that everything is suited to us and we are right we are correct and you're just vexed. yeah yeah take take the time to actually really explore it maybe that looks like exploring it with people mm. um to work out actually is this the wonder circumstances or is this a an opportunity for me to grow in um, learning how to extend grace. I think one of the beautiful things about that as well that you just want to flag is that, you know, Christ says, you know, a person who hates his brother has essentially murdered in his own heart. Mm. Like, it's crazy because in one sense, even though that person, you might not necessarily be able to reconcile with them, if you if you hold, if you harbor hatred, you actually, you're a murderer as far as Christ is concerned. And so you want to make sure you hit that, you hit that balance of mm. <laughs> not just not hating, but you really want to love that person. Yeah. As well as and and really that should actually pain you that you can no longer exactly um exactly reconcile with them in the way that you would wish you know it shouldn't should it shouldn't be a happy reality yeah it should be a painful reality and that's just the effects of living in a sinful world so so yeah thank you for your regret episode you know what yeah listen <laughs> <laughs> listen there's a couple of pauses here I'm just gonna say it straight we did this just a second ago obviously. just a second ago <laughs> two hours two, two hours, hours ago. Ago. <laughs> Technical difficulties, yeah. But when Keezy read out this question, like he said, you're welcome. Like he was on the Regret podcast. Obviously, man said, were you on the podcast? He said, no, nah, but the whole team. Whole team what? Listen, Richard was on the podcast. So Richard says, you're welcome. Okay, yeah? so, so let's let's give Richard, no, sorry. His, not let's give Richard his glory. Not, not in the rest of the way to my listeners. <laughs> thank, listen. thank you, Richard. To our listeners. Listen. <laughs> thank, thank you, Richard, thank you. for your regret episode. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for acknowledging the regret episode was helpful. Which, which I'm... I'm sure you recorded by yourself. How do I deal Chatter, with regret that I know I can yeah. never fix or correct? Okay, say that one more time. How do I deal with regrets that I know I can never fix or correct? Never fix or correct. Can we have like a kick, like an example? A regret that you can never fix or correct. Mm-hmm. You didn't say something to somebody and then they died. Yeah, 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 that's yeah, it. That's, yeah, a, that's yeah. something you can't correct. Yeah. Isn't it? How do you fix that? <laughs> I was just on the podcast. The, I was on the podcast. <laughs> 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 and then they die. All right. I think it's like, oh, you said you 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 said no to a job that you wish you had said yes to. You said no to a girl or guy you wish you had said yes to. Yeah, but you could you could potentially go back to those jobs. <laughs> you know, you just you could potentially go back to you could potentially try. I feel like you missed your moment. I know. Like, I hear that. I anyway, hear that, I obviously, that. there's a spectrum of regrets. It's, it's not always. But this one. Morbid. It's not funny. It's not funny. Morbid. No, this this is a serious question. Um, um, yeah. So like, let's say you didn't get to say something to somebody before, or, or you or you you had an argument with somebody, and like off the back of the last question, you never reconciled when you could have, right? Um, and then a the person passed away. Like, how do you handle that? How do you fix that? Do you know what I mean? What do you do there? The thought that comes to mind is there's going to be a day where 
there'll be no more tears. Like, Christ will wipe away the last tear. Um, and when I think about regret, I think often that what's in people's minds is that sense of, oh, I wish I had done X or I wish I hadn't done X. And the pain that comes from the realities of not taking the action that you thought was best with the benefit of hindsight. Mm. If it's something that cannot be sort of corrected, if it's something that cannot be fixed in that sense, there is a way to deal with it with that future joy of looking at the fact that there's going to be one day where this sense of regret, this feeling, this this disappointment in myself for my actions, this sorrow is going to be no more. It's going to cease. It's going to be gone away. Mm. And I think that sense of fighting with what happens in the future by bringing it into the now with the eyes of faith can help you to, to live with regret because I don't think it needs to go away. You can still have that sense of this was the thing that I should have done, um, but... I didn't do it, and yet I recognize that ultimately Christ can to rectify all my wrongs. Ultimately, re- right? yeah, rectify my wrongs mm. um, in a way that restores it from my aspect of the sorrow for not doing the action, but also from the aspect of the person who didn't receive the good potentially that they should have received. Mm. So that person as well, yeah, there will come a day when they will have to deal with the pain of your action that is yeah. regrettable. Mm. Gav? I'm just thinking, maybe there's, yeah, there's a spectrum of things to regret. Some more serious, like not saying things you ought to have said or saying things you ought not to have said mm-hmm. and not being able to rectify that. I think in more of like the day-to-day stuff, just decisions made, mm. things purchased, <laughs> degrees studied, jobs Yeah, submitted. so there are certain things that are not necessarily simple. Mm. Okay, so this, well. okay, okay, there's a dis- dealing with the things that are not simple. I think just, just reflecting personally on what truths have been significant to hold on to in situations that I've regretted. And first of all, what, what is quite, one thought is quite humbling in that I do not have perfect knowledge. Mm. Um, like God alone has perfect knowledge and executes precise and right decisions in every moment of existence. Yeah. Um, I'm limited, I'm human. I do not have, um, per- yeah, I don't have perfect knowledge. I don't have perfect foresight. Mm. It's part of my humanness that I'm going to make wrong decisions. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so some of some some regrets just come from a, a frustration with my humanness, which I think it's I think it's important to, to accept that you're you are limited. You will not always make the right decision. Um, you will make wrong calls. And to and to be humbled by that, mm. to know that I'm not good. That's part of my nature as mm. as as not having perfect knowledge. No. So part of yeah part of processing my own regret has been accepting I'm human. Um, yeah, and therefore okay. I will not execute my... Per- I don't have a perfect word and I couldn't even execute it perfectly if I wanted to. Yeah, second, yeah. The second thing that I think is often a place of sanity for the Christian, well, for me anyway, is, is God is actually sovereign. Ah, so you um, stole my point. Cool. Sorry. Okay, cool, cool. So that's how we're doing it today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, God, is, God is sovereign mm. and he is... Um, and I think sometimes when you make decisions and you think you've taken a wrong step or gone or taken the wrong route, we can think we've... Um, overridden God's sovereign will for our lives. Of course, yeah. You think that we, if, if we'd have turned here and not turned there, then yeah. life would have gone like this and God had a plan for me going going mm. well this way, but I did this and now I've ruined, as though I could ruin God's sovereign will. plan yeah. for my, for, for, for life. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we know this tension between human responsibility and God's sovereignty. Um, but the reality is that God is sovereign um, over, over all of my life. And so um, I have to trust, and I have to trust that he's working that for good. Mm-hmm. The deci- even the decisions that I that I regret. Yeah, um, 
I think I think that's my I think that was really what I was gonna get at. Like, look, when all is said and done, even even your sin, mm-hmm. even in the midst of all your sin, like God is gonna still is still working all things together for the good of those who love Him. Mm-hmm. Like, so even the whether it's a sinful matter at hand or whether it's a a decision that you now regret that wasn't necessarily sinful but you know what I mean you it's thought you, yeah you thought it wasn't a wise decision or you thought you could have done you could have made a better decision or whatever do you know what I mean um I think when all of a sudden done like God God has worked everything even the regrets up in you so that you might look back and um and be more conformed to the image of your son that you might learn from history you know history history is a History is the best teacher. You know, you can you can learn from history. It's the it's it's the teacher that ultimately grants people gray hairs and stuff like that. You know, and it I'm sure there's a nice way of phrasing that, but I couldn't, <laughs> couldn't really get there. Um, but I, yeah. do, I do think on the issue of sin, I think um, it's important to go a little bit further and and obviously very obvious thing to say, but in in regretting past sin, it's um sometimes it can feel humble to be like, oh no, I've done this and I'm mm. not quite sure. It's not a humble thing to um, to cling to things that Christ has wiped away. Mm. Like if it, when we have sinned, we we trust that the the death, the blood of Christ was sufficient to wipe that of course. away. Of course. Um, and so we're 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 liberated. Yeah, we're um, free from sin. And so to cling on to regret is an opportunity to be like, I have to remember the cross. Mm. I have to remember that this is paid for. Mm. That this has this is this is no longer recorded um, mm. against me. Um, but such that we should also recognize that our sit, the fact that we have stumbled and that Christ has forgiven us, should spur us to walk in, yeah. you know, live lives worthy of the gospel, to put away the deeds of our flesh. Do you know what I mean? And to and to put to death those deeds, and actually just to to, to reject our sin together. And 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 I guess the more we appreciate, like, uh, the more we appreciate just how much God has forgiven us for, um, the more we're like, right, like, how can I continue these things? You know. Sorry, yeah. How can I continue in these things? God has been so good as to forgive me for this sin. How can I then fall trample on the blood of Christ? Um, I was, so yeah, go on, yeah, go on, go on. I need to cough. Cough. <laughs> <laughs> um, just, just, just doubling back on Gabby's point about um, non sinful regret. Yeah. Um, I was reading um, a spiritual commentary known as the Harvard Business Review, <laughs> and. They were talking what about spirit. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it was it was an article um, dealing with how to deal with um, a midlife crisis in respect of your career, mm. and one of the things that the person who wrote the article said, and I'm just going to read it out loud, and I just thought it was really helpful. The only way to avoid regret entirely is to care about just one thing, one metric to max out, but that would impoverish your life. Remind yourself that feeling you've missed out is the inevitable consequence of something good, which is the capacity to find worth in many walks of life. And I felt, as I read that, I felt like, you know, there was a sense in which I was like, that's a, a very true reality. One of one of the things I'm thinking about our careers is, oh, I, I could have been a teacher, I could have been a doctor, mm-hmm. I could have been this, I could have been that. There's sort of like infinite realities in which you could just done so many things and maybe found lots of happiness enjoying those those realities. Um, and when you're thinking about, okay, I didn't choose to do that, but I chose to do this. And you're looking back on that reality. Isn't, is it necessarily a bad thing to just look at it from the lens of, I could have done that and I could have been happy doing that. Um, it's only detrimental when you allow it to be, um, something that 
stops you from being present in your current reality and living in that reality, conscious and grateful that God has given you that particular reality. Mm. Mm. Thank you for that, bro. Next question. <laughs> so we round up with the Harvard review. <laughs> Next question. Next question. We've not dealt with any questions beyond this point now. So. No, this is all fresh. So now we're fresh. fresh. Now yeah, we're fresh, guys. So fresh. And girls, <laughs> ladies, boys. <laughs> oh, <laughs> no, it's okay. correct in that. Um, <laughs> ridiculous. <laughs> is it? Is it? Question three. Is it necessary to absolutely believe in tulip? To what extent do Christians have flexibility when it comes to doctrine? Is right. everyone, everyone trying to Google the acronym? We started with jargon. We must end with jargon. No, um, all right. That's I, how the question was phrased. That's how the question yeah. was phrased. Fair. Listen, let's just run through tulips real quick, just so that people have the idea, they understand what we're talking about here. Um, so there's a few doctrine that has essentially historically been known as the doctrines of grace or the five points of Calvinism. And they've often been summarized through the acronym of TULIP. The TULIP acronym is essentially all trying to centered around that fact that God is sovereign in salvation, uh, such that the T represents total depravity, saying that a man in and of themselves or woman or boy or girl cannot in and of themselves come to God uh, through their own uh, through their own strength because sin has affected every single part of them. So they have been affected totally in that sense or their mind, their will. Their affections, everything about them has been, you know, means they can no longer submit to the will of God. You uh, is then unconditional election because man can't choose God in and of himself. He can't come to God by himself. God unconditionally draws them out of, you know, or unconditionally chooses them uh, based on, according to the counsel of his own will, not based on anything in that person, but just based on his own sovereign grace. L then says that he sends his son in time to secure the salvation of those for whom he actually uh, chose out of eternity past so christ comes and dies specifically for those who he chose out from eternity past and actually secures their salvation he doesn't make salvation possible he actually saves the people who he dies for um i then says that he that the spirit in time irresistibly draws those people to god meaning that those people can not uh, essentially can't they will definitely be saved in time. God will definitely draw them to himself in time. And P then says that God will preserve those uh, who have who he has chosen and, and called out of this world. Um, he will preserve them until eternity. Yep. Oh, that was very impressive. Thank you very much. I think that's... No I notes, think, you know, no notes. Yeah, so that's the that's the idea of Tulip. Um, and the whole idea, uh, Soli Deo Gloria, the whole idea is meant to be that God ultimately, from the beginning to end, gets all the glory and salvation. Um, should can a person believe that? I should say the actual words. T is total depravity. U is unconditional election. L is limited atonement. I is irresistible okay. grace. P is perseverance of the saints. So that's where the perseverance, perseverance, preservation cool. of the saints. Preservation is probably better, but yeah, like, but perseverance of the saints is probably more common. Um, but all those who persevere to the end, God is ultimately is because they persevere to the end because God has preserved them to the end ultimately. Um, and all of this is meant to be pointing to the fact that God is sovereign in salvation. So. That said, as a brief summary, um, is it absolutely necessary that somebody believes that in order to be saved? Short answer is no. Yeah, short answer is no. No, because I would say before I would have articulated any of that. Yeah, exactly. Most of, yeah. Exactly, exactly. Should it, okay, another question. Can a person be saved whilst, not necessarily whilst being consciously opposed 
to this? Do you get? Do you get the? So question? it's one thing to be ignorant of it. It's another so thing to to know it and say I think that's wrong. Yes. It depends on the extent of the of the rejection. Yeah. 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 I think I think there are there are you can have different views about, for example, uh, election, mm. um, and still cling to the basic gospel truth that Christ has died for your sins and that you receive the benefits of that through repentance and faith mm. um, and because of that you're justified and you go to heaven on Christ's merits you can believe that and still be wrong about election um, I, I, I always look at it as um, what did like when I'm thinking bare minimum mm. like what do you need to know I always look at it as what did the thief on the cross know about Jesus Christ um, in his encounter with Christ he was aware of his own sinfulness, that he couldn't save himself. He was aware of the fact that Christ was the saviour. And he was aware of the fact that he needed to trust in Christ to be saved from the penalty for his sin. Um, it wouldn't have been the full orb sort of like explanation that we would give to people now if we were presenting them with the gospel. But those basic realities were there and present in his life and such that if someone believes those fundamental tenets that there is there is a God, um, that there is there is man, there is humanity, and man has sinned, they individually have sinned, and because of that, they are ripe recipients for the justice of God to be executed upon them, mm. and that Jesus Christ, God's Son, has taken upon himself punishment for sinners and offers them the benefits of his atoning work through repentance and faith and they exercise that repentance and faith that person is a christian person mm. and that doesn't need the unpacking of tulip mm. tulip however is important to know because it demonstrates to us how great grace is mm. and if we see the purpose of the christian life in one sense to be worshippers of god to see it as you know to glorify god to enjoy him forever the mm. more you know about what god has done in the gospel for you is going to lift your heart up in praise toward god mm. the more you know about the greatness of god's love and if you just go through tulip i could not have chosen god amazing reality we always we live in a society where we're always told you can do absolutely everything like to the point that we get uh, decision paralysis because mm. it's like i have too many options and yet this fundamental thing that's the most important thing in your okay. life you actually can't choose God. You don't have the ability to do it. You don't have the ability to save yourself. Mm. And you don't stay there. God has, if you're a Christian person, God has chosen you and it's not because of anything you've done. And if he's chosen you because of, it's not because of anything you've done, then you can't lose that same salvation because it's not vested in what you have done. You talk about limited atonement. I prefer definite atonement. If you talk about definite atonement, Christ doesn't make my salvation merely possible and leaves it in my hands and goes, you know, Kingsley, take take the ball, run to the end line, you know, finish it off, Let's do it. Because you'll drop it. I'll drop, I'll drop it. I'll, I'll fumble Same somewhere. <laughs> Same day. I, I won't catch the pass. Same day. I won't catch the pass, you know. Slip your hand. But actually, Christ, in his work on the cross, makes it certain. He has done it. It is accomplished. He's, he's done the touchdown. I'm just there on the sideline sort of celebrating with him as if I've scored it. It's that's a, a wonderful reality to think that the son of what because I'm a Christian person I can look at the cross and say with Paul, the son of God loves me and gave himself for me. That's mm. that's that's your reality that you can enjoy as a Christian. Then when you're thinking about irresistible grace, 
It's that first reality. I couldn't choose God. So what happens? God actually supernaturally by his Holy Spirit works on my heart in such a way that I want to willingly respond to the gospel. He changes me so that I can recognize the beauty of God. Amazing. And then finally, that final reality is when you, and I think it's when you enter into the Christian life. When you enter into the Christian life and you realize how much one day can be so hard. <laughs> when like, you just, it gets, you get to a point where you realize, you know, you it, it, it's, actually yeah, hard. it's hard. Yeah. There's that, hard. There's that, there's that one hymn. And at the start of my Christian life, I didn't really get it as much, but I think I get it more now and I, hopefully I'll get it more later. Where the hymn writer says, I need thee every hour. And, <laughs> it's like every hour. Yeah. <laughs> and I look back and I was like, every passing yeah, moment, you, you could, you could, you, you could say every second, like, and and that would that would not be inaccurate at all. And that 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 reality then that um we are saved, we're gonna persevere to the end because we're gonna, as Richard said, we're gonna be um, preserved to the end. We are not saved because of our hold on Christ. We're saved because of Christ holding us. You can have assurance of your salvation. You can, in in one sense, as Christ says, you can have eternal life now. You can believe that because Christ is going to keep you to the end. That is something that means that when I have a bad day and I wake up the next day, I can say, I can go again because Christ is with me. Mm. I can go again because Christ will keep me. Christ will give me power to carry on. And then that gives me that future hope that, you know, one day I'm going to see Jesus Christ as he is. And I'm not going to have to be ashamed. I'm going to be able to look at him and be like him and to be in his company made able to be in his company to enjoy the benefits of union with him forever that's an amazing reality and you can't have that if you don't have a degree of understanding around you mm-hmm. they're not um static cold abstract historic trees these are like how are you going to keep going today mm. christ holds your hand yeah. he holds your your salvation um yeah praise god yeah. so you can, think, it's I, not necessary but 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 beautiful so mm, yeah, yeah so it's, not, it's not, it's not Google, necessarily yeah. but beautiful and i think just to add two <laughs> to add two to add two cents like i think one like the hymn amazing grace how sweet the sound that say that like you'll never really like it's hard how can you really deep like it's, it's crazy because we're talking about how great this reality is and you know it's so great that it, it inspires songs of praise like that and it's such a it's one of the probably one of the most renowned if not the most renowned like christian song but the words are literally amazing grace how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me i once was lost but now i'm found like was blind but now i see twas grace that taught this heart to fear and grace these fears relieved how precious did that grace appear the hour i first believed you know even to receive grace we need grace you know that it's 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 that real um and as you trace that hymn all the way through it's just it's just it's just full of the, this this theme that God has actually saved me. And so when we ask the question, do you know what I mean? What does a person need to believe in order to be saved? And how much of this, uh, how much of this tulip does people need to actually consciously understand and appreciate and agree with in order for them to be saved? Like it literally comes down to, to, to do you believe that phrase in the scriptures, you know, that, that salvation belongs to the Lord, mm. you know? And I appreciate that, you know, as like all the other kind of like theological groups and, and, and whatnot that, that, that disagree with Calvinism for whatever reason. Mm. We have to agree that, you know, whether you de- feel, feel you're inconsistent or not, we have to come to that stand where we can all say, you know, God has saved me. Mm. Um, and if we can't say that, then at that point, we've got we've got to the point whereby we're no longer dealing with like Christian on Christian. At that point, we're no longer, I mean, at that point, we've actually dealt with, we're dealing with heresy because every Christian 
comes to that, appreci- that appreciation that God alone is the one who has saved me and that God has, has, has taken me out of fire and, and, and brought me into his heavenly home. Do you know what I mean? That mm. salvation belongs to the Lord and um, that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Like that's, that's the kind of um, the place we have to get to. And so like disagree with me all you want on certain journey on certain points or, or certain theological just like the others and yeah. you know I mean and, and like we can we can we can bounce ideas together. But when it comes to when it comes to that reality, like we have to be able to to walk together. Otherwise, do you know what I mean like there's no point in us doing any more. Do you know what I mean there's, there's deeper <laughs> issues that we need to address? Yeah, you know? no doubt. Um, so yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. That's me. I think Rich has pretty much answered the second question, which was the second part. To what extent do Christians have flexibility when it comes to doctrine? So primary primary doctrine. Was that, the, was that the same question? That, yeah, 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 that's the second part. So that's that's effectively... Did you that part before? I did, I did. I swear. That, that effectively deals with our unpacking of the gospel. We can't disagree on the fundamental tenets of the gospel. We can't have flexibility there because that's a matter of do you believe this reality or don't you? Yeah. When we're talking about secondary truths, which are maybe implications of the gospel, for example, um, who should the sign of baptism be given to? Um, that's a secondary truth because you can believe that it should be given to babies of believers or simply believers and still believe the fundamental truths about the gospel. Yeah. So we can have flexibility there. doesn't mean they're unimportant. Mm-hmm. It just means they're not... This is a gripe. It's mad. Like, when we talk about like what do people need to be saved and what do people need like not need to be saved, like, when all is said and done, like, if God said it, yeah, it matters. listen, don't try and tell me, oh, because this is secondary, it doesn't matter. We can downplay it. Listen, I've had debates about this kind of stuff. And that's, what? I think, the question's important. Sorry, yeah. I really cut you off from it. Can you read the second question again? To what extent do Christians have flexibility? And it's, and it's, and it's, to what extent do Christians have flexibility? Like, what do you mean? Because there's flexibility to, to say, to, to be called a Christian. But there's, if you want to be my elder, it's a different flexibility. Mm. If you're thinking about someone that you want to marry, it's a different flexibility. Mm. Um, so to, to say that someone is my brother in Christ, Okay, we can be flexible on mm. child baptism or not, mm. but to say that someone is, is is a potential husband or is a is my pastor, the flexibility is yeah. Then we so have so to... the the question depends on in what in what sphere of your life you're trying to relate exactly. to exactly in in optimum circumstances. In optimum circumstances, you don't fle- you don't flex would, from the truth. I would I would no no, no I'm <laughs> saying I'm saying I'm saying if I'm optimum circumstances me effectively. So Gabby mentioned the point about flexibility in the past is limited, and I agree. But if I was, I'm I'm currently a Baptist. If I was in a country where there was only Presbyterian churches, yeah, yeah, yeah. I would go to a Presbyterian yeah. church because they believe the primary yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, truths. So but, how far can we flex? I think yeah. it's what is it one Corinthians? Oh, let me not quote the verse. Um, <laughs> been a bit rusty. Um, but no, there's a text. There's a text. Somewhere in the Bible. There's in Corinthians. No, in, in Corinthians. Um, say the verse. I don't even know which one. First or second or Say the verse. But there's essentially a verse where like Christ says, or Paul says, "I become all things to all men." Do you know what I mean? And and in one sense, Paul... you think that's on doctrine? Huh? You think that's on doctrine? Do I think that's what? You think that, do you think that applies to doctrine? I think it's interesting what it does. What it does mean? It means that Paul's willing to say, do you know, what? even for those who um, essentially place themselves on the law of Christ in a particular way, mm. I'm willing to become like them. Mm. For those who um, who are without law, essentially Gentiles who, mm. do you know what I mean, who didn't have the oracles of God, mm. I can become like them. Mm-hmm. Obviously, insofar as I'm under the law of Christ, mm-hmm. and I think it's interesting because do you know what I mean when all is said and done, what? No, I was right on the verse. This is was it, was this, one, this, was it one Corinthians nine. So you made a little chair yeah, for yourself. That's, yeah. like, that's what that was noise was. Yeah, one there, one there. I what, first with faith. faith. Oh, oh man, without faith, it was my own self righteous. But no, yeah. So um, 
So yeah, like it's, but I, I find that quite, I feel, find that to be quite interesting because Paul says when all of a sudden done, like as long I can flex insofar as however I have to flex insofar as I'm under the law of Christ. So even when he goes to those without law, mm-hmm. I can be without law um, whilst remaining under mm-hmm. the law of Christ, he says. And I think it's, 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 it's just that reality, isn't it? Like as long as we're um, subservient to Christ, as mm-hmm. long as we recognize that he's our Lord and Savior, as long as we recognize he's our Savior, as long as mm-hmm. we recognize he's Lord, um, <laughs> as long as we recognize we're getting saved from sin, mm-hmm. um, do you know what I mean? Like all of a sudden we, we, we can call one another brother and, do you know what I mean, brother and sister mm-hmm. in the Lord. Um, and so like, it comes back to what I said, you know, previously, like, as long as you recognize that, you know, God has created, um, the world that, and the triune God has created the world that the, um, that man has sinned and fallen short, that Christ comes and saves sinners, um, sent by God and, and that we're empowered by the spirit and that the, uh, and that we'll dwell in heaven with him, that we believe in his death and resurrection. Um, then yeah, do you know what I mean? Like after that, like secondary matters exist, but mm. It doesn't because they're deemed secondary with regards to salvation. It doesn't mean they're less important because they still come from the rule of the world, um, the one who is you know who has all authority in his yeah. hands. And I think that just there just has to be a solid appreciation for that because um, the moment we start to reject that, you mm-hmm. know, there's something even if it's implicit, we're starting to reject God in Himself, His word, His, his authority, His you know I mean? His lordship, His word, everything about Him. And 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 so there's that might speak to even though it might be a secondary matter, it might speak to a deeper reality. Um, and that's really important to keep an eye on yeah because often disagreement on secondary matters yeah it, it depends where they're coming from but sometimes they're coming from a place of just the authority of scripture um, mm, mm, mm. and so yeah it being secondary does not mean it's unimportant of course of course of course yes. it just changes the way we deal with it yeah so yeah. we're concluding you must not um know articulate um all of tulip to be saved but though it does seem that there are some fundamental parts of tulip salvation belongs to the lord yeah, God saves. Yeah. I could not have opted in. Mm, mm. I was dead in sin. Ooh. I couldn't have opted in. It's, you know, it's no, just, it depends a, on how much you understand about what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. So I, at that point, I think you can have an inconsistency there. Yeah. But still be saved. Yeah. Like in terms of, I I, I couldn't have opted in because some people believe that they play they it's them and God. It's not just God. And then so this is why I said, even though I think that's inconsistent. So, so, I, so I said that because before we said salvation belongs to the Lord. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and God saves. But you God saves. But you can say that and, and not I understand that. Huh? And I and I opted in. And I opted in. Yeah, but you can say that and not under- truly understand what you're saying by saying. That. Okay, so we're talking about ignorance. Because you you've already said that God saves. But you said that I opted. Oh, in. When I say ignorance, I would say that you can't say. That so it's someone could ignorantly understand that, but if they knowingly said that, it depends on how they knowingly say it. Okay. Listen, I ain't gonna know an ignorant. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, just, I'm ignorant no. in the, in the <laughs> without, without knowledge. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm joking. I'm joking. Yeah, yeah. Go on. But no, we're, we're saying it in the context of if someone in that circumstance doesn't understand the mm-hmm. true implications of their lack of will to choose mm-hmm. God um, and so says that I chose God mm-hmm. they can still say that with an inconsistent understanding okay. of how grace yeah. operates and still believe that the Lord has saved them etc etc and that they didn't they, they haven't added works to their faith etc mm-hmm. etc et um, so it's it just depends on what you, you have to unpack what the person I think, I think means, means yeah. and believes by what they say historically it's been known as the blessed inconsistency you know, okay, one, of those, one of those. One of those. I'm a historian. Did you know? <laughs> no, 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 I think you know, but, but one of those, like one of those inconsistencies that <laughs> just thankfully, so thankfully has still resulted in me. Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness! I'm Kingsley. You said get on the tape. Are we friends? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even like that. Okay. <laughs> <The> inconsistency <laughs> is essentially, essentially, like extends to people who have, for some reason, in some particular way, shape, or form, have essentially attributed elements of salvation to themselves 
even though when really all is said and done, they still say God saves them. And, you know, it's appreciating that, look, if you were to really think through the, you know, the, the implications of all your doctrine, you would actually see that you can't say those two things together and you would have to drop, essentially, your non-Tudor theology. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, anyway. Yeah. Next question. Next. The government are seeking to... <laughs> <laughs> Oh, oh man, the government. The government. Babylon. Wait, you need to say Rich has got different energy. Babylon. Oh man, I'm here for it. Uh, Come on, Egypt. Stay <laughs> Babylon have. Go on. Are seeking to introduce no fault divorce laws. I'm not surprised. How should Christians reflect on this? So, what is no, no fault divorce laws? It essentially means what? Like, you don't have to. There don't need to be no issue. You don't, you don't have to cite. No one has to take responsibility for the divorce. Fantastic. You can just say this doesn't. No one did anything wrong. No one offended We're just anybody. We're going to bounce. So that's a praise. Yeah. So that's crazy. Yeah. Um, we, we do. We do have. We kind of have. We kind of have. Um, currently, sort of no fault. It's just it. It's there's a time limit. So what we currently have is uh, five grounds for divorce. New ones. Legal. Come with the legal energy. Is it? Legal but energy. We knew, we knew it was gonna come. I don't know why I even tried to answer the question when he was saying. I, no, I started speaking on my phone. Forgive me. I regret it. <laughs> Got this one. This is no. This is one. <laughs> so dumb. This, this is not my area of law. But in any case, we have we have five sort of grounds for divorce that apply in sort of England, Wales, Northern Ireland. Three are involving blame of some sort, and those are unreasonable behaviour. Um, adultery and desertion, and when those three occur, um, the whole process what of divorce, unreasonable behavior. Okay, interesting. When those when those when those three actions occur, a divorce proceedings can take place from start to finish within three to six months. Right, where it's no fault in that sense. So that is um, where the parties want to get divorced. They would have, for example, separation for two years with consent then at that stage they can get divorced. And okay. then, the, then the fifth one is when they've been separated for five years in circumstances where one of the parties doesn't want to get divorced. So where so currently what okay, we have so, yeah. so yeah, so currently what we have in terms of no fault is you need to be separated for a period of time before you allow it. So if for argument say Gabby and I are married, we want to separate, um and we both agree about that, then it's two years. Yeah. Before we can get divorced. With 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 no fault. Yeah, if we both agree to want to get divorced, mm-hmm. if there is no fault and one of us doesn't want to get divorced, then you can separate for five years. Right. So this process, yeah, this process is effectively shortening that period mm-hmm. where people can get divorced for no fault. What reasons. is it now? Back to this. I, I just want to issue out before we even continue. I just want to issue out an apology. I should have never tried to answer. What this <laughs> <laughs> I don't know laws. Um, boy, I'm trying to stay married. So how long? Did, <laughs> amen. Amen. Claim amen. Um, so what is the time limit now for no fault divorce? Is it's, it? It's not done yet. Oh. They're, they're proposing. They're oh, proposing okay. it. Yeah, it's not done yet. Uh, <laughs> um, um, and the, and their rationale, like some of their rationale, is um, creating this sort of situation where people can get divorced for no fault. Effectively, is going to reduce conflict between the parties, which may have the knock on effect. Of being more helpful for other people who are affected by the force, mm-hmm. for example, children. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. Cool. What? How should Christians reflect on that? This part is not law. 
He's part of Christianity. <laughs> so now you're giving us your law hat, King. Do you want to give us your Christian hat as well? I think um, it's an assault on marriage. Mm. Um, but it's assault and it's an assault on marriage where I can see. So the reason I mentioned the point about um, people who might be affected by a divorce and how the government are seeking to look after them. Mm. It's the government seeking to um, alleviate the effects of sin by using a sinful practice. So they want to, when, 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 when divorce in most circumstances take place, there is sin that's happened. Mm. Yeah. And what the government are trying to do with this is to alleviate the effects of that for the people who are involved. That is, I don't, you shouldn't, you shouldn't use sin to correct sin. That's, that's mm. a, that's a, a, a thing that Christians shouldn't be advocating for. To be rights. To be left on the rights. Yeah. So we shouldn't be doing that. But I think, I think what it also goes to speak to, I think, is um, the nature in which we, as a society, no longer regard marriage as um, a lifelong commitment to one another. We're, we're increasingly seeing in society increased divorce rates and that speaks to um, a lack of, I think, integrity in the sense of when, when someone says, you know, ultimately, let your yes be your yes, your no be your no. When you are making that decision to marry someone, you're committing vows and all that goes into that process, mm. um, there is a sense in which, like, you, you should be looking at that with a, a permanent view. Um, you should be you should be looking at that as this is the person I'm with until the day that I die, irrespective of whether you're Christian or not. Mm. Um, and our society has shifted such in a way that we no longer look at that in that same way. What we do look at marriage is this is the person I want to be with for now, and you know if it, if it works out, amazing. Yeah. I think that's the thing that's scary about this because it's not. Um, I think how should the Christian think about this? Is a sad, sad, sad proposal. Yeah. In that, it's the idea that we just drifted. Mm. Uh, we, we were married we enjoyed each other for a season and now maybe our, yeah we've drifted for whatever reason the kids are grown mm. up um, mm. we now are trying to get to know each other again we're different people now we've changed and nothing's gone wrong here nothing there's, no, there's been no damage yeah. done there's been no um, there's been no violation of the vows made mm-hmm. we've just drifted from each other and that is grounds on which to end to, 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 to break your word um, I suppose Christian black, but to break your covenant because you drifted, mm. um, which is not how Christians understand love or marriage. Yeah, um, lo- yeah, love being a significant factor in marriage. That yeah. As, yeah. as Christians, we're making vows before the Lord. That what what does it mean to love someone for better or for worse? If for worse means when we drift, this yeah. um, or that love being, I don't feel like that about you anymore, um, mm. and that's enough to. Yeah, because that's been a prolonged season of maybe not the affection that I once had for you. Mm. Um, that's a key to, mm. to to call it. And and with that with with the idea that you would then find someone else that you feel that way about or that you want to commit to again for a season. Um, yeah, I think it's it's damaging to how to how we. As it, but the thing is, the world is already about like Christian Christian ideas of love. Abandoned Christian ideas of love are absent from okay. um, yeah. from from majority culture and narrative anyway. But this is a further step away, yeah. not just from ideas of love, ideas of marriage. Mm-hmm. In that, us drifting um, mm-hmm. is sufficient grounds on which to end end this relationship. And it's interesting, like it's um, 
with 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 that with with the intention of protecting primarily children, mm. but not introducing conflict. But imagine, I don't maybe I'm being a bit emotional about it, but like with your children in mind, you're gonna divorce because you drifted. Um, it's, 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 I'm not gonna lie, the effects are damaging, and I think the effects generation generationally um, yeah. are, do you know what I mean, are particularly damaging because I I always tell people like, look, you know, when I Bro, I remember the first time I'll say this. I'll say this on the podcast. I don't have to tell you people in person again. <laughs> but um, I what's it called? If you don't listen, that's your beat. Anyway, listen. So I remember when I was growing up, my parents used to always essentially eat together off one plate. It's such a random thing to remember. But like, if you ever ask me, like, I did, we did the we did the little recording on like Father's Day and all these various things, and you know how your parents have affected you growing up. But like, if you ever ask me like what my parents taught me, I would never tell you that like they taught me to eat off one plate. Like, do you know what I mean? But I remember one time when me and my, you know what I mean, me and Bay, before we were married, like, she came, like, she was up here around mine. I brought out food. I brought out on one plate. For the movie. She said, where's mine? <laughs> <laughs> do you know what I mean? And it's, like, it's so mad. Like, it's so mad, yeah. But, like, like when you think of it, you'll never know how much your upbringing affects you. And when we live in a society where they're so quick to break marriage vows, or they're so quick to break apart families, um, and whereby dysfunction becomes a new norm, that's, that's a scary position to be in. I think Ravi Zacharias at one point, I remember listening, when I used to listen to him quite a lot, actually. Um, not that I've stopped, not that he's, he's not worth listening to, we listen to him. Um, but I'm saying like, when I used to listen to him quite a bit, um, I remember at one point he was talking about just like, how we deal with media and stuff like that. And he said that um, one of the big issues with this generation is that we, when we consume media, we take in media, let's say we're watching something, we allow it to take in, we take it in through the eyes, we, lo- we allow it to go straight down to the heart and we essentially take it in, in a way whereby it bypasses the conscience. You know, we take it in the eyes, we take it in the ears, but we bypass the mind and we and, mm. and we don't filter it and we just take it straight to the heart. And it essentially starts to shape the way we think about, uh, we feel things and we and how we start to look at particular things. Mm. But we need to, as Christians, be conscious to put these things through the filter of the conscience because when all is said and done, you know, if we don't and we just keep on taking in what the world has to throw at us, mm. we're going to have distorted views of numerous things. And love, in, partic- in, in particular, in this sense, mm. Um, is one of those things like you know we is, the world is so quick to you know Babylon is so quick to <laughs> phrase love in such a way whereby you know love is all purely emotional and based on the conditions of how you feel that you know what I mean and, and what you're feeling at a particular time and so it makes love really fleeting but if we are to essentially take the Christian view on love um, and just think of it as the Christian ought to according to the scripture then we yeah. recognize that love is much more much more than just a fleeting emotion but love is often sacrificial and doing the very mm-hmm. thing you know and and doing things for the sake of another you know christ exemplifies the greatest act of love in that he dies giving his life on life up um for sinful people whilst we were still enemies christ died for the ungodly and i think that way you know like no great love is than that you know that's the that's the epitome mm-hmm. of of love and you know once the christian rec- any marriage that's coined by that mm-hmm. type of love automatically recognizes look we can go through issues we can be different but we have to fight for our marriage. We have to mm. fight. You know, we have to start to compromise. We have to fight to journey to see. You have to work. Yeah, you have to work. It's work. Do you know what I mean? And I think we've started to strip away the idea of work. Um, it's just supposed to be struggle. some innate feeling, overwhelming yeah. affection. No, you struggle. If that's what we understand of marriage. Then when that's gone, then you struggle. You struggle together. That's the. That's the. That's marriage could literally be redefined. And no, yeah, I don't think I don't think a lot of people process marriage in that way. No, it's true. And I, I, partly that's that whole like generational thing. If you've not grown no, up around seeing seeing marriages, what's that See, Instagram, Instagram the Babylon, Babylon, Babylon Instagram. Instagram. Babylon. Oh, come on! <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, if we've not seen marriages that have yeah that have 
that have been work. We've only seen, yeah, we've only seen it on the gram. Bella Nigel wedding, mm. and then they're doing YouTube channel and it's nice and it's cute, but, but you don't see, you don't see up close struggle and work and commitment and time mm. and, and relearning of people right. and recommitting and yeah. sacrifice yeah. and repentance and apologies. Yeah. So you just think, yeah, marriage is greener grass and it's easy and you mm. found babes and now you crack on. Um, which means that people will be surprised when it's time to work. Yeah. Yeah. And when they're thinking about who they're marrying, they're not thinking about someone who who I'm ready to to work with. Work with exactly. Thinking about someone that I can do keep Demi. cute energy with. You know, like agreed. I think that's sort of like the commentary on sort of the the negative aspects of the law. And I think the one thing I would just add is, um, whiteness against. So when when you when you got so you we're talking about marriage. Talking about marriage. I don't know where you're going. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that's it. I'm going to use a different example. Please. We're talking about marriage. We're talking about marriage. You go, yeah. you get to that stage as a guy. Uh, because you're going of, to a different Please finish what you were let saying. Let me land. <laughs> where our society suggests that the guy should buy an engagement ring for his beloved. Um, and he mm. goes through the process of going to the jeweler to see the, um, you know, to see, to see the rock that he wants to buy. Hopefully it's a rock. Um, and what they do is so he, he looks he looks around, he sees what he likes, he points at one, um, and then the person who's serving him takes it out and doesn't simply just give it to him to look at, but ordinarily puts some type of black backdrop get, get, against it. So you can see <laughs> the beauty of the diamond, so you can see its intricacies, so you can really see it. So Clarity. You, yeah, exactly. So it, 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 it helps with that vision. And I think... I think in a similar sense, like you, you wouldn't be able to appreciate the diamond as much as you would had you not had sort of that the black dark girl, backdrop. Yeah. Backdrop, yeah, and in a similar sense, I think when we look at marriage as being a paradigm for the relationship with Christ and the church, and how that's meant to be a witness um, to other believers, um, to ourselves, and also to the world, um, the backdrop getting darker with regards to how the world sees marriage serves to um, make for an excellent canvas for us to demonstrate the beautiful picture of marriage. Mm. When a Christian man and woman are engaged in a Christ-honouring marriage that is looking like the husband loving this woman sort of selflessly, unconditionally as Christ loved the church and the wife responding to that loving, sacrificial leadership by demonstrating uh, submission in a way that looks like how the church should be obedient and submitting to Jesus Christ. That type of marriage looks almost unattainable. Yeah, borderline. Yeah. In in comparison. <laughs> you guys to... didn't see the sermon that King did. King Lee raised his hand. <laughs> that type of marriage. His hand flew up way. He said that'll preach. Charlie <laughs> Dates. I was done. Dates up Charles. Look him up. But when you but, but... <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But when you when you, when, when you when you compare that to this the type Disposable. of marriage, yeah. This yeah. this kind of like e- easy to micro- microwave marriage. Microwave. Is, here. <laughs> <laughs> it's here today. It's here today. Pot noodle marriage. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> we I was in the zone, boy. We won't get anywhere, will we? <laughs> but that type of yeah, disposable marriage where like it's yeah. here, and then when it's not working, where you can just throw it out. Yeah. Um, I think it gives us a wonderful opportunity as Christian people who. At some stage, so Rich Richardson is engaged in marriage. Um, at some stage, from the rest of us who want to get married, to be witnesses to the world, mm. um, and I think that's a that's a, a way to look at it um, in a way that doesn't make you sort of um, 
just overcome with just grief and right, righteous grief at sort of like the laws of the land continuing to descend in a way that's not Godward, but also looking at it through a gospel-centered lens that also says, okay, how can I see the sin of the world and be an example of what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus Christ amidst this? So Christian people should reflect on it in some as being disappointed, sorrowful over the trajectory that our country is going in, but also looking at it from the lens of saying, Christ here is also providentially giving us an opportunity to demonstrate how wonderful relationship with him is by demonstrating to the world what a Christ in our marriage looks like. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. I said a benediction. <laughs> I'm so glad. <laughs> um, May the God of all. Be uh, <laughs> back one more. Yeah, should we do back a few easier ones? Listen, black plasters. <laughs> <laughs> listen, Wait, listen. You, got, you, you said that, that you got something to say. I said I got something to say. I, I got saw, something to say. I saw on um I saw on the Twitter sphere, uh, on the Twitter sphere there was a uh, nobody um, calls it that. What did they call it? You know I'm not I'm not hip. I'm an old man now, man. Um, <laughs> I'm late twenties. Late twenties. Uh twenty six has done me dirt. Um, no, yeah. So on on Twitter, like I think there was I saw a picture, a little article came mm. up, and it was essentially just like a finger with a plaster so like close to a black guy's skin, <laughs> you couldn't tell the plaster was there. And like essentially, like it was linked to an article, and I think the quote was like the caption at the top was like said something like ah, uh, like I never thought like like. I never thought I could be so, um, get so emotional over something so mundane. Um, but like, and, and, and all of a sudden I started thinking to myself, rah, like, that's true. But that caused a lot of like, that caused like a lot of furor, like uproar and stuff mm. like that. But like, people say, is it not that, it's not that deep? Yeah. Like some people said it's not that deep. Some people said, no, like, it's very deep. Like, why can we not have plasters so, um, plasters so black? <laughs> uh, why can we not have black plasters? Like, do you know what I mean? Why is it taking so long? And so like, yeah, the question is just like, is it actually a deep thing? Like, is it deep? Is it something we should rejoice over? Is it progress? Is it not progress? Is it just, is it just us being like pedantic? Like, do you know what I mean? I've never in my life been concerned about the colour of my plaster. In fact, to the point yeah, that you, I, did, I didn't be used to you didn't realize they were skin coloured. You just thought yeah. they were plaster coloured. Literally. I'm literally. Like, I was like, literally. Man, is that skin colour? Literally. That's where I've been. However, having said that, that probably speaks. To the fact that's the that, issue. That like, I hegemonic live in, nature yeah, of I, whiteness. I, I, oh. It's literally, isn't it? Like we live in a society oh. where whiteness is the default, mm, such that we, we don't even consider it white. We just consider it the default, and then other things are deviations from the default. That's problematic. We actually mm. licked. We didn't know. Mm. I thought the plaster was meant to be a different color for my skin. <laughs> <laughs> so you, so you were not. Oh. No, I, I thought I was meant to see the difference. <laughs> Look at you accommodating to the hegemonic nature. Not think, knowing uh, that the fact that I'm stand out, that I'm different from my own plaster, is, <laughs> is a not, thing. Not I think it is that deep. I did pain to the pain. It's yeah. a bit deep, man. It's, it's a, a bit deep. deep. It's a bit deep. I think. I think. I think it. I think. I think we've already touched on it, but literally, it is that like the fact that you don't have to, you don't think about it. Mm. And you just accept it as normal. But then, like, when you finally see one that's in your skin, so you're like, oh, wow. I didn't know I needed this. I didn't know I needed this. <laughs> I'm actually mixed friends, so I'm still, I'm still not there yet. So, pray for Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let the market catch us up. <laughs> um, I was going to say, you could just mix, mix and match. No, hey. It doesn't work like that. Um, it doesn't really work like that. But no, yeah, like, um, yeah, like, yeah, I, yeah, man, we need it. 
<laughs> we need it. Yeah, we need it. I think I think it I think it does just bring to light more and more that we should actually be conscious to think through. Do you know what? some things we do because it's a white man's world. <laughs> <laughs> this, this is like, Babylon. You be that Malcolm has already got you feeling some way. <laughs> a white man's world, specifically in the context of us living in London. <laughs> yeah, yeah, specifically in that context. I do think it's important to say that um, whilst I've never sort of cared for. Having, yeah, the fact that it's there is something that I'm, I appreciate, mm. and I won't necessarily mm-hmm. go out of my way if I've cut myself to look for a kind of a but I'm gone on Amazon when I get home. But if it's available, and you should too, it's support. Yeah, it's nice to have, and I think I think it the wider sort of like if you like zoom you out, look at macro level, just cheaper materials. It it, <laughs> it reminds us of the fact that actually. Um, when when God creates human beings and diversity of, of ethnicities, which later these colours and so on and so forth, um, that is not done with one being better than the other. There isn't um, whiteness, being white or from uh, a nation that would, would, would have people who look white, as we understand it now, isn't a preferred position to be in than being from a nation that has people who look black or who look um, as we would understand Asian etc there isn't a, a preferential system in God's order of hierarchy of of ethnicities and I think this is just a demonstration of the fact that we can live in a society where we are not taught that we're taught the opposite that there is a hierarchy that there is a preference and so this is in, in a sense it's it's a small thing mm. but it's a it's a, it's a paradigm shifting thing Mm. Because all of us were literally at that point where we, we didn't even know this is what, what was happening. It was plastic color. Yeah. So I, wa- so I, wa- I thought it was the color. So, so I, I wonder, I wonder <laughs> where else this exists where we've just accepted whiteness as the default and we haven't actually had the conversation to say, is that necessary? Uh, is <laughs> that correct? Of, I started thinking through bear creams. I don't know why. I, I, this is not a, this is not a bang at Nivea, but Nivea. Uh, <laughs> but even like, it's a little bit white, Nick. It's rarely you get like brown brown coloured cream. I don't know what the content of cream is. I don't know. I don't, I'm th- I'm th- you think they make cream white? Why are my buttons white? No, but yeah, I think I think I think I think you're right, and I think yeah. So we're essentially we're equal. I bought my little. I bought um. My daughter uh, Rosa Parks. I say I bought it. My wife bought my daughter Rosa Parks book recently. Mm-hmm. Um, we sat down. We read it. It was quite a big book. Right, we big sat book. Down, Good we, job. We sat down as she read. She read the whole <laughs> she thing. Made with her me. She liked the pictures. It's important. <laughs> but no, it is important. It's important. You know, and and it was just interesting to see those sections in the book where she was like, "Look, she Rosa realized that you know she was just as good as her white counterparts, and they weren't that intrinsically better than her." You know, and it's it's just nice to be able to tell your daughter that. Mm. Um, and mm-hmm. yeah, so so yeah, yeah. And to put a brown plaster on her. Yeah, I'm gonna put a brown plaster on her skin, but she too is very light. So she, <laughs> she needs, my wife, my wife is light as well. So they they might need a different color plaster than me. But listen, I got my plaster. Yo, any other what other questions? Quick ones. Quick ones. Or not? Do we have any recommended resources on heaven and hell? This isn't as quick as we would like it to be, because reform people. <laughs> but um in the christian not in the whole christian in our little corner in our corner of the christian ecosystem unfortunately mm. um spiritual matters are not actually 
a spiritual matter. The reality is non-material. Like, non, yeah, the the non-material um, spiritual realm, um, things of angels, demons. Um, eternity, Eter- <laughs> heaven, hell, <laughs> heaven, hell, <laughs> big only little things like that. <laughs> um, they they don't seem to be as frequently addressed as some other areas of, of theology, and that's a shame. Um, so we don't actually have a lot of resources. There are definitely things we can point you to. So I would point, I would definitely point people to "Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God" by Jonathan Edwards. I think that was a it's a brilliant sermon, but he deals with the realities of hell like mm. beautifully. Um, I think you can also listen to D.A. Carson when he deals with the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. I think he does quite well in that, also articulating certain elements about heaven and hell. Um, and I think he might touch on it a bit in his sermon series on one John, um, on heaven in particular. There, Joel Beakey also covered a few things on heaven mm-hmm. at points um, in numerous works that he's done, um, acknowledging that there's a there's a bit of a lack there. Um, also, in a lot of systematic theologies, whether it's Robert Raymond, um, Grudem, I believe, uh, MacArthur, all, all of these people, like they all have systematics out there that can that can help you with regards to dealing specifically with heaven and hell. Um, Louis Burkhoff as well. Outside of that. Um, there's not loads. I think I would also point to um, I almost called I almost taught a completely different theologian uh, who wrote a completely different book for one book. But Albert Waters on Creation Regain, his book is quite beautiful in dealing on how we essentially the kind of the end to which we're aspiring. Um, and so that again points you towards uh, towards that reality. And Christ of the Future by forget his name. It's so funny, you were like, oh yeah, I don't know any, slash here are 17. Yeah, but listen, like, all of those ones that I mentioned, they all have, like, they're either, like, sermons, they're short, or they're peripheral, like, they deal with, like, things yeah. on the way to heaven, like, or, but Christ in the future deals with, like, eschatology, generally, so, like, our, our view of the end, and he does so in a way that, whereby he, he essentially, I remember reading it and just getting a much higher view of heaven, mm-hmm. um, a much higher view of, like, a much more um, imminent view of just Christ and his coming, so, like, I'm not gonna lie. A verse like um, "Maranatha, come quickly," mm. like meant nothing, like almost meant nothing to me in one sense. I almost thought, like, not too quick. Do you know what I mean? But now, like, I, I can, I can wholeheartedly say, yeah, like Lord Jesus, come quickly. You know, he should be, he should be at the top of all of our, um, you know, our calendars. You know, like it's not, you know, it's not about end game. It's about the end times. You know, even where to say that. I've been to say that. <laughs> I've been waiting to say that it's not about the end games it's about the end oh oh my days oh Twitter man (laughs) Um, but yeah I would add that I think there are many different ways to read your bible Um, and um, one way that if you're interested in these topics they might be helpful to one way to read it faithfully is to (laughs) is 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 to spend some time on the pages of uh, the New Testament Gospels reading Mm -hmm. Christ's words and studying Christ's words because Christ talks an awful yeah. lot um, about heaven and an awful lot about hell um, and if you have sort of the time to map out I mean there's definitely sort of things you can just google on the internet but I think it'd be nice it'd be nice to do actually just reading through to just highlight those passages where Christ specifically speaks to those issues and then as you're sort of navigating through um, those particular passages maybe listening to sermons reading articles and just reading them and just asking that the Holy Spirit would powerfully sort of apply them to your heart so that you can have something of the sense of what there is to be gained in terms of heaven that's there awaiting for us and what there is mm. to to be pulling people away from. So Richard actually gave a sermon here a few some here at our church a few weeks ago about um 
knowing the fear of the Lord. So Paul's words, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. Having a heightened view of hell makes you a better evangelist because you know what you're persuading men away from. Mm-hmm. Having a higher view of heaven makes you um, a better evangelist because you know what you're persuading men towards. So mm-hmm. reading Christ's words, I think, and then sort of going through the process of exegesis goals, that's all, that, that in itself is a wonderful resource on learning more about heaven and hell. Mm. Nothing to say, Gab. I guess one more question, then I'll throw it at Gav to just to start us off. Um, <laughs> no pressure, no pressure. Um, uh, what are your thoughts on the difference in response to the Notre Dame and Grenfell tragedies? Uh, the reason I feel like that is just because, like, it's hella important in my life, um, that we at least like put out there why I think there has been quite a bit of. Um, almost pushback from largely the black community um, from what I can see uh, when it comes to the amount of money that was quickly raised for the, uh, the Notre Dame incident. Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's it feels like most of that is, is self-evident. Like, we think about mm. what happened at Grenfell. Um, yeah, a lot of those people are still not rehoused, mm. still living in B&Bs, mm-hmm. still living in quite poor conditions. 72 died. 72 died. Yeah. That we know about. That we know about. Because who knows if he was actually in there to begin with. Mm. Um, yeah, and then did, did did our government commit to donate funds to Notre Dame? We definitely, we definitely gave words to that effect. Mm. I don't know if we've given anything. We gave words to that effect. Yeah, and obviously you think about um, no lives were lost in Notre Dame. And obviously we don't want to undervalue the, the beauty of the building, the historic nature of it. Um, but the reality is, was no life was lost, and we value human life above and beyond anything else. Um, no one's homeless, as far as I'm aware. Mm. No one's living in there. Um, when we think about why why there's been a difference in in responses, we we have, it feels inevitable to be looking at um, just the value given to human life, especially human life from certain demographics, people that don't have um, voice or clout or. Mm or space to um, advocate for themselves mm. and are easily ignorable, easily sidetracked, easily forgotten. Um, it did feel like Notre Dame was a massive virtue signaling moment. Like the governments that came out to to pledge money to rebuild this building because, you know, we appreciate culture and history. Um, but when it comes to virtue signaling regarding, never mind virtue signaling, but actual action regarding human life. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, 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 again, it's another, um, like the sadness of, of the, of the context we're living in. Mm. Um, a black cloth against the, the diamond of how the Christian needs to consider human life. Yeah, I, I, I Kay, do, do you want to say anything? Go first. Um, yeah, I was trying to see if I could find it, but um, but I don't think I can off head, but essentially there was a, I saw a post that essentially like covered a few of the statistics, like the difference between the two, and it was just about like how much money was raised, how many lives were lost and that kind of thing. But like, it's interesting just to, when you think about the contrast. Um, there was literally like 72 lives lost in Grenfell that we know about and zero lives lost in Notre Dame. There was something like, I don't even want to say the numbers because I don't, I, I can't remember them off head. I want to be very precise. But it was something like what? It was like 80 million was raised for Grenfell um, and only 2 million had been distributed or so. But for Notre Dame, they raised like, over a bill or a couple bills something, something stupid like something crazy um like hella quickly um within like 48 hours and voluntarily largely. yeah yeah within like 48 hours like you know it's it was a it was a sad 
in my mind it was really it was really shocking just to see the difference between um what can be done when people are when it affects something that's that the rich care about mm. um and what and how indifferent people can be when it's affecting those who are less fortunate in society and i think that's just where the christians called you know like we see it in the book of james just how the christians called not to be partial mm. um to be one who doesn't favor the rich over the poor you know to reckon that you know we see in corinthians how the how we recognize that god saves the the high and lofty and he also saves you know the the, the the low but god but so much so that god uses the low things of this world to confound the wise and the poor of this world to do you know i mean to, to to confound the rich and stuff and 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 yeah, it's just a complete disregard towards the those who are really suffering. Um, I found that to be really, 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 really painful. Um, at first, I wanted to stay out of it, you know, and not mention anything. But when I did see, when I saw, like, I started to see those statistics and I started to really see, you know, just the loss of life. Like, it really did pain me that yeah. people could put people could put the value the value of a historical building, you know, mm. a cathedral or a cathedral of all things as well. <laughs> you know, you know, a symbol something that's meant to be the symbol of, you know, of of, of grace towards the, the less fortunate Jamie you know, and, and all these kind of things. This tastefully ironic. Yeah, like sorry, I was about to say something. I'm still gonna say it. Like it's like pictures when you see the pictures of the Pope sitting on all that gold. Like I'm not trying to be funny. Like someone said I think I think I've seen a meme where it's like we're trying to end poverty and you see this picture of the Pope sitting with the gold and then it's like it sells some of that gold and I'm just like I'm not trying to be funny but it's like one of those situations right like like they're happy to I'm I'm, I'm sure the, the rich will be quick to their public relations to put out a tweet towards you know, you know yeah. our hearts go out to you you have lost your lives at Grenfell Tower you know but when it's Notre Dame our pockets go out yeah. pockets go out to you that's mad you know, that's, and that's why I find it to be so wild sorry okay you, you speak yeah, I would say we're we're sad for both realities. Like it was, it's it's a devastating reality for um, a building to be destroyed in the way that the Notre Dame sort of situation happened and occurred, um, and it's a devastating reality of what happened in um, the Grenfell uh, tragedy as well. So they're both sort of like devastating realities. One is more significant because of human life being involved and human life being lost and that's the Grenfell tragedy so we're not saying necessarily that you can't be upset or sad about the Notre Dame situation it's simply we're, we're answering the question of comparatively why has there been this, 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 this distinction and difference the thing I was going to say is I think about I don't I, I just thought about an intensely micro level like an intensely like down to earth like day-to-day level um, and you sort of touched it when you talk about James that's what I had in my mind I have Christ's words about, you know, associating with the lowly. And um, James talking about, you know, don't treat the rich, rich don't treat the rich man better, than, better than, than you treat the poor man when they come into your congregation. And I think it's so easy at times for me, like, to look at those verses and, like, read them, um, even read a commentary on them and then go sort of living my sort of normal day-to-day life. Mm-hmm. And maybe not necessarily think, am I actually... Remembering the poor. Yeah, am I actually mm-hmm. doing that? Am I actually... Am I actually associating with the lowly? Or am I actually demonstrating a heart that says, I want to set the high tables. I want to be in places of first importance. Am I treating people who come into my congregation in a preferential way um, because of their riches? So in our society, in our context, mm. take away riches. Let's let's put popularity and clout. Mm. 
Mm. Am I am I treating people who come to my congregation who are popular? Mm. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> who are popular? Who have like a following? Who who are like just well known in a better way than I'm treating someone who comes to my congregation who seemingly doesn't have that sense of being well known? Am I doing that? Mm. And I think so. Looking at the macro level, we're sort of seeing the differences in how people are looking at these two different things. But at the micro level, I'm looking at it as a lesson for myself. Am I being guilty on the micro level of the things that I'm horrified at? Level. Mm. Um, I think from Beautiful. that perspective, yeah. I think it's important that in our righteous indignation about the fact that people are not valuing human lives as they ought to be valuing human lives, we let that issue out in righteous living where we demonstrate a value for human lives that are in and around us um, on a day to day basis in our congregation. Feature. Right conviction. <laughs> God shall wipe away every from their hand. Get ready. No. She um, said my mother's calling me, so that means that's the end of the recording. That's the end of this recording. Um, yeah, I thank you both for featuring on the podcast. Um, Kings, if anyone sends their thanks in for this one, feel free to say you're welcome. Um, and know that you're not lying. <laughs> you're not claiming the glory of another. Um, if you claim the glory of another, you know that's actually fake. That's actually Oh, uh, uh, we're a one organisation. It's not even on this recording. <laughs> it's not, is it? It's not even. It's literally edit this out. Just it. It's not, no, it's no, I'm not editing out a thing. In any case, thank you for listening to the Black Beer Podcast. Um, I've been Kingsley. I'm Gabby. And I'm Rich. Chent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're so I'm silly. Rich. <laughs> I'm the one that's talking about. I'm Rich. <laughs> I'm Rich. <laughs> In Christ. You know what it was. Uh, no, thank you guys for listening. Cheers. <laughs> oh, thank you guys for listening. <laughs> Ciao. 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 <laughs> Ciao. <laughs>